1: Find
0: a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA member FDSE.
1: Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Eighteen
0: plus. Spurg Steeler fans, it is time once again for another episode of Here We Go, The Steelers Show wow i am so excited to be here my name is brian anthony davis from behind the i hope you had a chance to listen to uh, let's ride this morning and the preview last evening if you haven't go ahead and you can there's archives you can go ahead and you can go back to uh, january of 2020 if you want to and listen to different shows it's all there we keep it and we're here don't forget tonight there's going to be another episode of the six-pack with Tony we are also going to have another touchdown under so much to check out do it here and with camp only what is it a few days away now at this point oh wow it is coming up well you gotta be at BTSC every single waking moment that you're thinking about the Steelers. And here's a guy that you are going to see in print and here on pod on podcast. It's Kevin Smith. What is up, KT? Hey
2: Brian, uh, just uh, I mean the anticipation is great right now. We're getting uh, we're getting down to the nitty gritty, and uh, it's just it's that time where. I think every Steeler fan is uh, you know, on edge, so I, I can't wait to to see what happens in the next uh, week or so. We're going to get news coming out of uh, camp almost every day, and the site's going to be jumping. And it really is cool how I, you know it's like it, it, we've compared it to Christmas in the past, and I I always feel that way. Just like you, there's few things really when you think about. It, there's few things that you have such great anticipation for that you look forward to so much. I mean, it's always like Christmas as a kid for me, like now Thanksgiving as an adult, because I love Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite holidays. We have a big family here. Uh, you know, I always look forward to to that day, but, but the beginning of training camp, I always feel the same way about that because you get an opportunity to, you know,
0: revisit your passion. You definitely do. And I know we've had this discussion before on the show, you have uh, omitted draft day, and I think draft day is both of our one of our favorite days of the year as well. Yes, absolutely. But I, I don't want to talk about players that the Steelers drafted today. I want to talk about players that the Steelers did not draft. Players that were drafted from other teams. We are going to be really looking at guys like James Daniels, Mitch Trubisky who were drafted by the Chicago Bears. We're going to be looking at Miles Jack, who Jacksonville tabbed. We're going to be looking at a guy in Mason Cole that was courtesy of Arizona, the Cardinals. And we're going to be looking at a guy that Buffalo drafted in Levi Wallace. We're going to be looking at a bunch of these guys. And it makes us stop and wonder. We can't predict exactly what they're going to do but we could talk about how the Steelers brought some players in from other teams in their history. So we're just going to do what we always do. Go back to 1969. We talk about the Super Bowl era. I know that was about two years before that, but for me, it all started with the Chuck Knoll era. So we'll just say starting with 1969 and Chuck Knoll on who were former draft picks of another team that were great in black and gold, Kevin, So let's get started. I know you're going to – there's some obvious ones, and you can throw out an obvious one to get us started. So,
2: well, I'm going to let you talk a little bit more about him uh, because I have a feeling that he's a guy that you are pretty passionate about. But I think when you think about players who the Steelers acquired who were drafted by other teams, the guy whose name jumps immediately to mind is Jerome Bettis.
0: Absolutely. Number one pick Jerome Abram Bettis senior in 1993 went to the Los Angeles Rams. He was 10th overall. So that's, that's a guy that one of my favorite moments, because, you know, I love to watch the draft and when they went ahead, I mean, it wasn't like it was now in 1996, where you anticipate all of this. You know that a guy's looking at a free agent, a guy's looking at, at a, a guy that could be possibly traded, and a team, the, the team is looking at him. And you're like, "Wow, well, it wouldn't be great. How many articles did we write last year about Amani Hooker, Amari Hooker, or whatever his name was? How many times did we talk about J.J. Watt last year? You know, when a guy is on the market, we get excited. Hey, are the Steelers going to trade for him or are they going to bring him in? There was Aaron Rodgers talk last year and people picked up on it. But there was no real Jerome Bettis talk because the Internet was still in its infancy at the time.
2: Yeah. and, And the thing about Jerome Bettis is that when he when you watched him play for the Rams, you just thought, man, I wish he was on the Steelers. He just had that feel, he just felt like a Pittsburgh Steeler. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a statement right now that a lot of listeners might disagree with simply because of the rivalry. But every time I watched Ed Reed play for the Ravens, I thought to myself, My God, what a great Steeler he'd be. I always thought Ed Reed would be my favorite player here on the on the Steelers. Now, granted, that was the, the Troy Palomalo era as well. So you know, who, that'd be a big rivalry since Troy was my favorite Steeler, really, of the 2000s. But but, you know, there's sometimes there are these players on the on on other teams who, you know, it's not just that they're good players. It's that they feel like Steelers. And and Jerome Bettis always felt like Steelers. So when the Steelers acquired him, to me, that was just an absolutely
0: uh, a perfect, perfect fit. And you know what? Something that you brought up just sparked something in me. And it's really interesting. And we've been talking about this a lot lately, especially when the Steelers brought in, when the Steelers bring in free agents, when they bring in Miles Jack, that was a guy that Mike Tomlin was looking at, you know, five years ago. He was looking at a guy like number eight, Carl Joseph. Oh, he's no longer number eight. He's 38 now. But Carl Joseph out of West Virginia, he loved that guy. He didn't get a chance to draft him, but he follow, he continues to follow this guy. The big philosophy with Mike Tomlin right now is, hey, I might not be able to draft you. He said that about you know, Chase Young. I mean, There's no way I'm going to be able to draft you, but I could look at you in five years from now because I hope we never have a season that we're bad enough to be able to draft you. So that's the situation he keeps in touch. Pat McAfee talks all the time about how, how Mike Tomlin, you know, struck up a relationship with him, you know, at the combine and how he was uh, that guy was a stealer. If you ask me, Pat McAfee would have been a perfect stealer. But so there's guys like that that they look at and they know that, hey, maybe we could bring them in later. And lo and behold, they do. So Jerome Bettis ended up being one of those guys, of course, not in the Mike Tomlin era, but still brought in during the... Uh, he was actually not even brought in in the uh, Kevin Colbert era either. That was the Tom Donahoe years. But really, that was a guy to bring in, and he is the most successful non-drafted Steeler of all time with what he did in his career. Hall of Famer. He The only... The only problem with him is he, I thought he had to wait way too long to get inducted into Canton.
2: Yeah, uh, sometimes there, there's a, I don't want to say a bias against, but like stylistically, he was a little bit different, and um, and I don't know if it was if it was seen as a as a uh, flashy enough style, so to speak, uh, for to attract the vote of a lot of people, a lot of voters. I was about to ask you. What, uh, what, what's, your, what's your favorite or most lasting Jerome Bettis memory?
0: Gosh, there, there are so many of them. You know, it's easy to say Erlacher, but I'm not going to. I am probably going to go ahead and say 1997 against the Cardinals in overtime in Arizona in a game that they had to win. And he busted off a long one to go into the end zone in overtime and end the game. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll I'll tell you mine real
2: quick. And it's not necessarily a, um, you know, it's a, it's it's a, it's a memory that that I, I, it was a moment where I felt so good for him. Um, It's not not even anything he did. It's the, the, it's the 2005 playoff game against the Colts where the Steelers seem to have that game put away, and then you get the. Horrible referees call, where they you know overruled Palomal's interception, and then and then Bettis with with, with the the just horrific fumble as the, at the goal line as the Steelers are really about to like just salt the game away, and and that that could have been the last carry Jerome Bettis's career, which would have been which would have been tragic if you think about it, right? Uh, and and Indianapolis you know hit a couple passes and then and then Mike Banderjat lines up to kick uh, the, the game tying field goal. Uh, and he misses it, and when the camera cuts to the sideline, they they zoom in on Jerome Bettis on the sideline, and you can see him mouth, like, he missed it, and his face lights up with this combination of great elation and unbelievable relief, and I felt so good for him in that moment that he wouldn't have to bear the burden of, like, here's this guy who had this great Hall of Fame career, and yet it's going to be remembered for this terrible fumble at the end, which causes the Steelers to lose this gut-wrenching playoff game. So I I just, I just, and, and it goes on and, and gets the hoist the Lombardi in his hometown. So it could, it could have gone from being a horrendous ending to being a storybook one.
0: And it was the perfect story. So yes, I, I agree with you on that. We could probably tell so many great Jerome Bettis stories and, you know, he is, his demeanor makes him even more of a Steeler to you. You just love, how last week we were talking about how guys that were sweethearts off of the field and on the field, they were just punishers and he's another one of those. Um, I'll give you one more great Jerome Bettis moment. It's something that did not happen during the game, but pregame and Warren Sapp had this thing. They played two years in a row and that's not very often, but the reason they played in Tampa two years in a row was because 2001 was the last year of the central divisions in both, of, in both conferences, and it was a situation at the time where in 2002, they were going to move to the format that we have now with eight divisions of four teams. So what happened? They were playing in Tampa Bay, and Warren Sapp loved to go dancing through the warm-ups. And the very, and he, they were, they were ticked off. And that's where the Lethon Flowers paper champions came from. The very next year on Monday night football, the eventual Super Bowl champions were the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They would go ahead, maybe about six weeks later, and win it. But the Steelers had to win this game in Tampa on Monday night. And when he was running through, guess who was ready for him to give him a shove? It was Jerome Bettis. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Absolutely. Yeah, he was a true stealer, man.
2: No doubt about that.
0: Absolutely. And there was another oh. guy in that scrum who is the guy we're gonna talk about next. So another guy that jumped in as well that ended up squaring off with another player. It was not, it was not Warren Sapp, but ended up in a fight in pregame to help out his buddy Jerome. Bettis, but this was a defensive player and it's not the guy that you think of the guy you think of is going to be Joey Porter jumping in but it wasn't you know who that was I don't who was it Potsy James Farrier oh great nickname great nickname James Farrier
2: might be along with another guy who I'm sure that we're going to talk about uh the best Defensive acquisition of a of a uh, a non drafted Steeler, on you know that we talk about today because I, I think he's so underrated to the success that the Steelers had during in, in his era.
0: I I really think he was because when he came in and he came in after the 2001 season and Earl Holmes left and Earl Holmes later said I should have never left during free agency. Holmes was good after he left but when they brought in Potsy Ferrier man he he changed the game for the Steelers in 2004 he was almost the runner up for defensive player of the year and i have a great story and i don't think i've ever told you this but other people on btsc have quoted me now because they just remember this and i was in biz- away on business for 3 weeks training for a new job and we were in New Jersey. So a, a guy I met in training said, hey, I got on eBay two tickets to the Jets and the Texans. <laughs> and I was like, you hey, want to go? I'm like, yeah, I want to go. I, the Steelers don't play until Sunday night against Jacksonville. And this was the 2004 season. Ben Roethlisberger's rookie year. And everything was going well, that 15-game winning streak. Or excuse me, the uh, fourteen-game winning streak it was in the middle of it, and so what I did was I went to this game and I'm sitting there and I was enjoying it and I was rooting for the Jets just because. And the guy behind, I like to make friends everywhere I go, and the guy behind me had the Jersey accent. He was, uh, he was a diehard Jets fan. You know, you could tell he was long suffering and. I had to bring out the fact that I was a Steelers fan. And so I just looked at him and and we were talking about different things. I'm like, hey, by the way, I I am a Steelers fan, but I'm rooting for the Jets here. Um, Hey, I just want to say thank you for James Ferrier. He's like, oh, Ferrier, we couldn't get a Yugo for this guy. And then then he goes, he actually said Yugo. We couldn't get a Yugo for this guy. And then he goes to Pittsburgh and look at him now. (laughs) So I just loved it.
2: You know, it's funny because, like last week, we were talking about breakout players, uh, and and the the reasons as to why they have their breakouts, and and those reasons are are hard to to define. Sometimes it has to do with the coaching or the scheme, or or this or that. And with Farrier, it seems like m- maybe all the above that you just he, he he just wasn't a fit in in New York because for whatever reason it might have had to do with. The, the, those things we just mentioned, coaching scheme, culture. And then you get to Pittsburgh and he thrives because of all, uh, you know, the fact that, that he just was built, I think, for that Steelers defense. Uh, Coach LeBeau seemed to trust him. He seemed to really understand Coach LeBeau's scheme. I mean, I can still see Farrier with his, his big neck, neck collar that he wore. I love the old school neck collars. Uh, still, you know, like my, the image that I, I have of him when I kind of close my eyes and picture him is, of him constantly like walking up to the defense alignment, slapping their butts uh, to, to reposition them, uh, his, his hands gesturing wildly before the snap uh, as he's communicating with everybody. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who, who, who got people in the right position uh, and who directed the defense. You think about all the gesturing that like Peyton Manning did pre-snap uh, as a quarterback. Farrier was that way as the quarterback of the defense So it's really almost impossible to understate his value to those Steelers teams.
0: All right. We're going to take a break here on here we go. The Steelers show as we're talking about, well, camps coming up and there's going to be new Steelers that were drafted by other teams. Who's going to be the best one. We're going to answer that question at the end of the show, but we're also going to talk about some of the all-time greats to be drafted by different teams. We've already talked about Ferrier and Bettis. We've got two more when we come back on here we go the Steeler show Sure my way i oh, come on girl. i said, hey, be so mean. Ain't the worst looking man you've ever seen Welcome back to here we go the Steelers show from behindthesteelcurtain.com. My name is Brian Anthony Davis, Kevin Smith, KT Smith. The coach is with me as always and this is so much fun. We're going to be talking like crazy in the next couple of weeks about training camp cuz the Steelers are going to be in training camp. But right now we're going to, we're doing a little departure. We're talking about great players that played on other teams originally before coming to the Pittsburgh Steelers. We've already talked about Jerome Bettis, and we've talked about James Farrier. Who do we have next on the list, Kevin? Well, I mentioned uh, how I thought
2: Farrier was one of the best defensive acquisitions for the Steelers uh, from you know a guy that they didn't draft. And I'll give you another guy on defense, um, uh, Ryan Clark. You know, Ryan Clark, I thought, was uh, another glued guy and another guy who kind of had that Farrier- uh, effect on the Steelers secondary, uh, a guy who was a great communicator, a tremendous team leader. Uh, you want to talk about a guy who, who kind of put his money where his mouth was, man. I mean, some of the, some of our best Ryan Clark memories involve big hits against big rivals in big games. And, uh, and he was a guy who just rose to the moment. Uh, he, and, and honestly, honestly, if I had to make my list of probably of top 10 favorite Steelers of all time, going back to my childhood,
0: Ryan Clark would be on that list. Yeah, he was. And this is what's so great about the Pittsburgh Steelers. When they drafted Chris Hope in 2003, they expected him to be around a long time at safety, but he was gone. Just like we talked about in 1996, drafting Earl Holmes, and then he went to another team in a free agency as well. When it's time to go ahead and pick up another player, You know, they bring in a guy that sometimes we don't know their names. And it's an underwhelming pick when you don't know who these guys are. So when you bring in a guy like James Ferrier, you're like, well, I know him because he was a number eight overall pick. But he was kind of a bust. So I'm not that excited about him. But James Ferrier got in the right scheme. He played well. We're hoping the same thing happens with Mitch Trubisky. But when we're talking about Ryan Clark, when he came in after the Super Bowl winning season of 2006, well, not a lot of people knew that he was good with the Washington Redskins. Everybody knew Sean Taylor. Nobody knew the other guy. And the other guy came in and was pretty, pretty sharp and fit the puzzle perfectly in Pittsburgh, Kevin. Yeah. And
2: he turned out to be the perfect compliment to Troy Palomalo. He, he turned out to be a guy who was so good at understanding coverages and, and structures and 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 where Palomalo was supposed to be um, and by that I mean like if, if, if those of you who are listening remember watching Troy Palomalo play there there were times where Troy Palomalo lined up at the line of scrimmage or at the linebacker level. And after the ball was snapped, snapped bailed out into a half field cover two, where he was responsible for the deep half of the field. I can't begin to like stress how, how difficult that is for him to just physically be able to do that, to physically be able to get from the line of scrimmage into a deep half responsibility. Well, the other person that that placed pressure on was Ryan Clark because as Troy Palomalo is, is you know, dashing madly back to his coverage responsibility, Ryan Clark's got to compensate. Uh, one of the reasons Troy Palomalo was able to do a lot of the things that he did uh, and, and Dick LeBeau was able to allow Troy Palomalo to do those things was because they had such a, a, a fundamentally sound player in Ryan Clark uh, who, who really was the, the right playing partner for that particular moment.
0: He absolutely was. And he was a great guy in the locker room. He was a glue guy in the locker room. He, he also knew when to stick up for the right players. One of my favorite Ryan Clark stories was luck. Antonio Brown just got his contract and now he's being a jackass. He's going after Dick LeBeau and we are not going, that's not going to happen. Troy Polamalu is that's it. I'm going to kill this guy. He's like, no, you'll get suspended. Let me go after him because <laughs> if we lose me, that's okay. That's a true story. He went after him, and you know, but Troy basically had a bounty on AB, <laughs> and, and that that shows how much of a problem he was before we knew it, and how a lot of that stuff was uh, was held back, and how Mike Tomlin kept the peace. But it's really interesting when you have a guy like that that that's a big deal to your locker room.
2: Yeah, I still think Ryan Clark's hit on Willis McGahee, and oh. I, could, I believe that was the 2008 playoff game. Was it's one of the few hits that I've, I almost I, I almost was physically uncomfortable. It was so, it was such a, a beautiful textbook hit, but the violence that that whole game that the violence of that entire game was just stunning and, and not dirty, not dirty football at all. I mean, it just unbelievably physical football and that hit just
0: seemed to define the Steelers Ravens rivalry it really did and I believe I have an autographed picture of him hitting McGahey, and I have him hitting Wes Welker too a couple of weeks earlier in that uh that game when they came back right before December to beat uh, beat uh, Kessel, uh I'm sorry what was his name Matt Castle and the uh, Patriots in uh to end up you know, having a very good record and getting that number one seed that year. So let's talk about one more guy. And actually we're going to talk about two because there's two that I want to talk about real quick we don't have much time left on the show, but in the history of the Steelers, there have been phenomenal centers. Even before Mike Webster came in, Ray Mansfield was tremendous. Yes, he did come from another team, too. He came from Philadelphia, but he's not the guy we're talking about. Then you had Webster's career. You had Dermani Dawson's career. Then they brought in another guy. After those three players, you're like, how can you get magic? But they another former first-round draft pick that they brought in from the Detroit Lions, it was Jeff Hardings. And what Jeff Hardings did at center for them, took them to a championship, and also, probably one of the best centers that's never going to be recognized as the best because of the line of guys that are ahead of him.
2: Yeah, you know, great name. I'm glad you brought him up because centers oftentimes uh, don't get acknowledged or recognized. But he had a really interesting combination of uh, athleticism and, and physicality. He was he was a smart guy. He was a good. Uh, I don't he was a good battery mate, so to speak for a young Ben Roethlisberger at that time, because he was a veteran um, who understood protections. And uh, you know, you think about the Steelers and early on in Ben Roethlisberger's career, they were able to do a lot of things uh, that they weren't able to quit to do later. And, and one of the biggest reasons was they had a great pass protection. Roethlisberger is, uh, is, re- is remembered for at that point in his career for all extending plays and pulling these Houdini acts to scramble out of the pocket. But, what people forget is a lot of the Pittsburgh's offense was was structured and and on time, uh, and a lot of it had to do with you know that he got great pass protection, and then of course Hardings contributed to a line that ran the ball well uh, with with Bettis and Willie Parker. So he's a, he's an underrated uh, but really really important uh, addition to this list.
0: The last guy we're going to talk about is a gentleman that only played three years for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but those three years were magic. He had the main, he had the personality. It was Kevin green. Yeah. Closest,
2: closest thing there was, uh, to, to a WWE character, uh, in the NFL. I think, you know, it, it was like Ric Flair and cleats, man. I mean, I, I, the, the, I, there's probably a lot of people listening to this podcast right now who became Steelers fans during the, uh, the Greg Lloyd, Kevin green era and the Blitzberg defense. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he was your typical Steeler you know he was was kind of a flashy guy with more of an LA feel to him but man did he uh did he went over the hearts of Steelers fans with his play right
0: oh he was phenomenal and he was just a character and was so fun to watch I just wish that the Steelers would have had him longer but when he chose a team to be inducted by it was the Pittsburgh Steelers and that just tells you a lot about his love affair with this city as well
2: Yeah. Hey, let's throw out some quick honorable mention, guys. Man, some quick guys uh, that that have been uh, maybe maybe forgotten. But I'll I'll just I'll just give you a couple of guys who I loved as Steelers who were not necessarily who were not drafted by the Steelers. Uh, One guy's Charlie Batch. I always loved Charlie Batch. I always thought what a great backup to Ben Roethlisberger, uh, a guy who knew his role uh, and and was really kind of like a veteran mentor to a young Roethlisberger. But when when called upon could step in there and win games for the Steelers. He won some big games for the Steelers in his career as a back. Yes, he did. Yeah. And then I'll give you one more, man. Uh, uh, a guy, a guy I, I love too, for, for, you know, similar to, to Harding's um, in that he was, he was a, uh, a lineman who didn't get a ton of uh, recognition or publicity, but was, but was really integral to some great Steeler teams and and won a championship in Pittsburgh. And, and that's uh, Kimo von Olhoff. he was uh,
0: absolutely he was a
2: guy who, who, yeah, man, I just thought that it really helped to sort of solidify the front
0: in some of those championship runs. One of these days we're going to have to put put together an all time non drafted Steeler team, uh, non drafted by the Steelers team, because we would be putting those names on there. We would be putting guys like Jericho Cotri and Courtney Hawkins and Donald Evans and Ray Seals mike malarkey the list goes on and on the steelers don't bring man tim lester
2: yeah i love me some tim lester
0: yeah. oh my all-time favorite that i forgot and i'm gonna i'm gonna kick myself if i don't mention how much i loved john l williams he was a yep. all-star with the, uh, a pro bowler with the seahawks and he came to pittsburgh and did very well in those three seasons as well so kevin as we get ready to get on out of here real quick of the gentlemen coming in this year, it could be Mitch. It could be Levi. It could be anybody else in between. Who do you think is the guy that we're going to be talking about when we do this list 10 years from now? Uh, I I think it's miles Jack.
2: I think miles Jack with, uh, with, with getting an opportunity to, to be in Pittsburgh where he seems like a guy that after, you know, toiling away in Jacksonville the last couple of seasons, uh, he said several times when he was doing his introductory press conferences how, how excited he was to be a part of uh, the culture of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He seems to recognize that Pittsburgh is a unique destination, that, uh, that their professionalism and, and that the opportunity to sort of like rebuild your career in a place like Pittsburgh is unique. And, and getting to work with Brian Flores, I think, will do wonders for him. So I think the potential is really high if you can stay healthy for Miles Jack to be that guy
0: on down the road who, again, like you said, we reference in this conversation. Well, I hope it's Miles. I hope it's Mitch. I hope it is Levi. I hope it's Larry O. Uh, I hope it's James Daniels and Mason Cole and anybody else that I'm missing. So with that being said, Kevin, thanks so much. Yes, sir. Hey, can uh, can I make a nomination for our dude of the week? We got to.
2: Uh, it's got to be the bus. Let's let's make the bus our dude together. I mean, he's a dude. We are we absolutely know he's a dude. And and just talking about him in the, the beginning of this conversation got me all uh, ramped up, man. So so you know, there's nothing better than some Jerome Bettis style football.
0: There you go, and let's give honorable mention to Miles Jack because we need him to be the dude going forward. Absolutely. All right, for Kevin Smith, my name is Brian Anthony Davis. We need you to do three things: be safe. Be true to yourself and always be behind the steel curtain. Stay with BTSC for all of your draft needs because next week when we are back here, not draft needs, all your training camp needs because we will be back in the beginning of training camp and you're going to have to stick with BTSC for all of that. So keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching
2: for the hypercycle.